0: Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond Harris. Today we'll be talking about dilemmas about holiday celebrations, what to do when no one will come to yours, what to do when people are trying to force you to come to theirs, and how to move past the time you burnt the pies while wearing a vomit-covered shirt. Here to help me out is longtime Slatester Dan Kois. He's the author of the novel Vintage Contemporaries and three nonfiction books, including How to Be a Family, which is a memoir about parenting around the world. Welcome, Dan.
1: Hey, I'm so glad to be here.
0: It's great to have you here. And before we get started, I can't wait to give you a chance to give one piece of unsolicited advice.
1: Uh, This is a thing that I tell my kids all the time when they start to really worry about well, wow, is this person angry at me or is this person resenting me or is this group of girls all ganging up on me? Mm-hmm. The advice I always give is no one is thinking about you as much as you think they are. Um, almost everyone on earth is constantly thinking about themselves, mm-hmm. totally wrapped up in their own shit, totally um, disbelieving that they have even made it through the day yet again. And so, To the extent that you think someone is obsessing about something you did, they almost never are. They're almost always uh, just thinking about their own stuff and you can rest easy that you're not on their mind. Sometimes that's torture if you wish to be on their mind. But most of the time I feel like it's a comfort.
0: I tell myself that so often. That's like a frequent refrain in my head. And I try not to remember that. I often actually do pay a lot of attention to other people. And for example, <laughs> like I still remember, I don't know why I think about it often when I was in a yoga class in South Africa in the year 2004 and somebody farted <laughs> in
2: the class.
0: Like I know that that person is probably thinking, nobody remembers that. They were worried about their own yoga, but I actually still think about it every time I go to a yoga class. However, The general rule, I think, is true. We're we're all obsessed with ourselves, um, as these letters will demonstrate. Dan and I will dive into your questions after a short break. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudyplus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, that's slate.com forward slash prudyplus. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Dan Kois. Let's get started with our first letter. It's titled, Hostess with no Mostess.
2: My mother was the only and eldest daughter, so she was raised to be the perfect hostess while her brothers were raised to be pigs. One Thanksgiving when I was 17, my mother had gotten very sick and still insisted that we host. My divorced uncle brought his sick kids and tried to dump them on us so he could eat and watch football. I was running around trying to cook, clean up vomit, and keep my mother in bed. The woman was having dizzy spells and my father was overseas. My cousin vomited on my shirt again when the pie started to burn. I asked my uncle to pull them out, but he didn't hear the ding. I ran out to the kitchen and pulled out smoking pies with a vomit-covered shirt on. Everyone came in and started to laugh at me and I lost it. I screamed, threw the pies on the floor, took off my shirt, and threw it at my uncle, calling him a piece of shit. I had a sports bra on. That is the time I ruined Thanksgiving. Enter me in the present, having to move to a very desirable and expensive city where I have a guest room. I have laid out my limits, the sheets will be clean, and local information on the bedside. Get your own groceries, clean up after yourself, and don't interrupt my life so I can be your free tour guide slash Uber slash hotel. Naturally, these rules bring me in conflict with my maternal relatives who expect to be whined and dined because they so graciously decided to descend to visit me when I moved here. Never happened when I lived in the boondocks. I made the mistake of allowing my aunt and step-cousin to visit. She brought her dog without asking. The creature peed on every one of my rugs and chewed up two of my shoes. My step-cousin would not stop bitching that I didn't have coffee creamer or snacks that she likes. There's a convenience store less than six blocks away from me. They didn't even bother to put the sheets in the washer and stole my guest's shampoo. It was a full bottle. At the next family event, I nearly went deaf after getting earful after earful about what a bad host I was, so it turned into another Thanksgiving. I told everyone my aunt and her kid were shitty guests, and lucky I didn't sue them for all the damage the damn dog did. If they want a hotel, get a hotel, instead of being cheap and lying about how they want to visit me. And maybe, if I was so horrible a host, they just not visit me. So this put the cat among the canaries." Everyone wanted to visit my city cheaply, and it was against the family rules to do this. I don't care. My mother greatly does. She is progressive on so many subjects, but this. She told me I embarrassed her, and she was ashamed of how I turned out as a lady. That stung. I love my mom, but she didn't raise me to be a rug. How do I deal with this? For context, I am on the list of my college roommates' extended family's favorite place to stay here. Not many of them speak English, but are able to use Google to buy groceries and arrange tours. They cooked me dinner while my relatives expected me to take them out. For context, I have zero problems with my dad or his side.
0: So, lots of details here, but I'm glad the letter writer provided them. Because I found myself starting to think are you the problem here? Are you just like, why are you like threatening litigation, cussing people out um, at these various events? Like, why is this so hard? But they say they don't have problems with their dad's side. And it's, to me, a very compelling point that their roommates, relatives love to stay with them. So I think this is a person who generally relates to other people well and really just has this, like, discreet issue with mom's side of the family. Do you agree?
1: I agree that the letter is a rich text, yeah. <laughs> uh, with so many incredible details. Uh, incredible. The, the sports bra. Uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, just so you know, it was totally fine that I took off my vomit-covered right. shirt and threw it. Because I, I had
1: on a sports bra. bra. I'm not, I'm not yeah, an animal. it's fine. Yes, I do think the supporting evidence... Suggests that this isn't only the letter writer's problem. Though I would argue that I do think the letter writer has some ideas about what hosting is and means um, mm. that interface badly with what seems to be a really tortured and torturous relationship with her mom's side of the family. Mm-hmm. The animals, the pigs, as she says. Yeah. Um, it sort of sounds like f- just from the start, she simply should not hang out with her mom's family at all. Like no one likes each other. None of them get along. Right. Everyone sounds like a jerk. She certainly seems like the worst version of herself when in that scenario.
0: I think that's a great way of putting it. She's the worst version. Yeah. Of herself. And you're
1: under no obligation to hang out with, especially to put up on a visit people you don't like being with. Uh, and so, yeah, I agree with the letter writer's general premise that she shouldn't be made to do this thing that gives her no pleasure and causes her angst and pain. The question then becomes, and I'm curious what you think about this, Janae, how do you deal with a mom who is disappointed in you for not wanting to host your horrible relatives?
0: Right. And I have to say, just to go back to the question of like who's behaving badly, which I always find really juicy, I've said this time and time again, but I'm always shocked and i don't know if this is like a regional or cultural difference or just all people are different difference but i'm shocked by tales of people demanding to stay in homes where they're not welcome yeah like you would have to practically beg me and sign an affidavit saying i wasn't going to be an imposition if i had even the slightest feeling that my stay at your home was going to bother you i can't imagine these people being like i know you don't want me here but i insist on staying And guess what? You don't have any fucking snacks. And I'm upset about it. It happens enough in letters that I know it's a real thing that happens. It
1: does make me wonder what incredibly enticing, exciting city this person has moved to that people are so desperate to visit that they are willing to put up with a host who obviously despises them. I think it's Vegas.
0: Oh, interesting. It might Mm be. But I don't know. I feel like you can get a hotel on the Strip for so cheap. That's true. That's
1: a good point. And that's sort of part of the point.
0: Maybe they don't want to spend any money at all. Back to the relationship with the mom, I had the exact same conclusion when I read it. I think the underlying thread that's tying these incidents together, the first Thanksgiving that never should have happened because everyone was sick, but the mom felt obligated in these visits and the mom's embarrassment about them, it seems to be the mom and the letter writer's conflicting views of gender roles and what that means for the importance of living up to um, family expectations. And I just think that's something where the letter writer might not be able to expect the mom to evolve to where she is. Like, that's probably the way she was raised. She probably has a certain idea about how a woman demonstrates her worth in a family and in society. And you might have to give up on the idea of changing her mind. So I just wonder if there's a way she can just show her mom through her actions that there is another way to get love other than putting your own needs on the back burner and catering to everyone these things can change with generations and the letter writer might just have to do it. And I would recommend doing it without like cussing everyone out repeatedly and without (laughs) continuing to put yourself in situations where you feel totally abused and mistreated. Like, I think the idea is to calmly and firmly say no before everyone is pissing you off and you're yelling at them about how they're awful and threatening litigation. Don't
1: put yourself in the position where that's going to inevitably end up in that place. Right. But I have a question for the letter writer.
0: Yeah.
1: Has her mom visited her? And what would she mm, do if her mom visited her? Would she want her there? Would she... Yeah. Would her mom expect her to show her around town to do the things that I kind of associate with being a host for people you love, who you care about? Would she expect mm-hmm. her mom to buy her own groceries and arrange her own tours? Mm. Like, one of the issues here with this very specific part of the question Is that she has people coming in to visit her who maybe because they're selfish animals, maybe because they love her and want to spend time with her, maybe both expect that visit to include a certain amount of like doing things around town with her, maybe possibly organized by the host. Mm -hmm. I view that as like a totally normal part of hosting. I don't want to do it with people I hate. So I don't invite people Mm -hmm. I hate to stay at my house. But if my mom comes over, I like I feel like that is a gift to me to be able to do those things with her.
3: Hmm. And so
1: I do think one way to start to think through these issues about the differences between her mom's attitude and her own and the way that she feels about her mom versus the way she feels about her mom's family is to have her mom in the house and see what that feels like and see what a good hosting experience can be like because it. Seems Hmm. like she hasn't been able to mix being a good host and actual familial connection. Like she can be a good host to people she doesn't care about, but she can't be a host to people who actually she has emotions about.
0: Interesting. So I think we as a society need better language for like what kind of hosting is happening. And maybe we do. There's the word crashing. Right. Like, I think the difference is, can I crash at your house? And can I come visit to spend time with you, right? And those are two really different things. And generally, if you're making the request because you're already going to be in town for another reason, and you simply want somewhere to sleep, that's crashing. And I don't think it should come with an expectation of like being entertained. The value is you saved your Mm -hmm. hotel money, right? And I personally, I would never... Well, first of all, like I said, I would never invite myself to stay at someone else's house. I'd be like, I'm going to be in your city. Do you know any hotels? And if they want to invite me over, they can. If they did do me the favor of letting me stay there, even if it was a loved one, because loved ones have jobs and other responsibilities, I just can't see demanding that they roll out the red carpet. It doesn't make sense to me. I guess I would ask the letter writer, do you want to be close to these relatives? Like if this misunderstanding hadn't happened... Do you love them? Do you have any good memories with them? Is there anything there that's worth salvaging? And if so, could you invite them at a time when you have the mental space, time and energy to actually enjoy them and entertain and like think about what's next they might like, you know, and sh- like you said, show them around town and maybe you're right. Try it out with your mom as an experiment first and see if that's even something you're into.
1: I have a side question for you, Janae. This is a very important issue uh-huh. that I would like us to address here. Do you want your guests to put their sheets in the washing machine?
0: I don't expect it at all, but I always offer to do it if I'm staying somewhere.
1: I actively don't. They'll just fuck it up. Like they'll put it in with the wrong shit or they'll fill up my washing machine when I want to put other stuff Mm. in the washing machine. Maybe I have other stuff I want to wash with those sheets. What I want is I want the bed stripped and the sheets wadded up on the floor like beach house style. But Uh also I don't care if someone doesn't do this. Like,
0: Oh, see, I totally agree. I want you either to do nothing or wash right. them because I don't want you to strip them. And then you're like deciding for me that I have to wash them or look at the pile on the floor. You know,
1: that's a fair point. What if you were just willing to leave their stinky sheets on the bed for a couple weeks? Yeah,
0: at least until like yeah. the weekend or whatever, you know, but now I'm looking at this pile on the floor. So, you know, communication is the answer to everything. You just, you gotta, just ask. gotta ask. Letter writer, like Dan mentioned, you think these people oh. are animals and you don't care about them. But I do. Do imagine you want to find some way to repair your relationship with your mom. And it's going to take a lot on her part. But I think on your part, it could involve some level of understanding about her being from a different time and place and living up to expectations that aren't a part of your life and trying to find a way to agree to disagree about what your expectations are when it comes to hosting people without throwing your relationship out with it. Our next question is titled, Hoping to Host Holidays.
3: My husband and I purchased a large home almost three years ago. We've been trying to host the holidays since then. It seems everyone has all the holidays claimed. I thought my family, cousins, aunts, etc. would come for Thanksgiving last year, but a week before I learned they were all going to another cousin's house. They promised they would come to my house this year, but my mother said they probably won't come again because my cousin is not giving up her holiday even for one year. I wanted to gently remind them that they promised I could host this year. We are also adding a pool this year, and I have been told I should just host the summer holidays since I will have a pool. I really was hoping to host a holiday like Thanksgiving, Christmas, or Easter at least once. Any suggestions on how I can get to host the holiday and remind my family they promised me I could host Thanksgiving? Can I tell a story? Yeah.
1: 14 years ago, we left New York and moved to the suburbs and finally had a house. And the first thing we said was, oh my God, finally, we can host Christmas. Finally, we mm-hmm. instead of having to go to my wife's mom's house, who we love, but... We finally can do our own Christmas experience in our beautiful new living room. My wife's brother, his family came up. My wife's mom and dad came out. My mom came out. We all celebrated Christmas. And when it was over, we said, why the fuck did we ever want to do that? That was really? terrible. It was so much work. It was so yeah. such a pain in the ass. And so letter writer, you've got to count your blessings. You've been given a mm-hmm. gift, the gift of Other people wanting to host the holidays, seize it and enjoy it.
0: I mean, seriously, you could come home to your nice, clean living room with your stockings hung and just like have a really relaxing day the next day. No mess to clean up. Refrigerator is not stuffed full of leftovers that you have to figure out what to do with. I definitely think that's one way of looking at it. But I did come up with two Mm -hmm. ideas to actually get to host the holidays if that's what they want. Number one, have a holiday party, but not on the actual holiday. So have like a Christmas Eve thing or just a holiday season thing or a weekend after Thanksgiving thing. And what you have to do is make it so great that people like it better than the other celebration. (laughs) So you're planting the seeds so that next year when you just say we are hosting, everyone can make up their mind about whether they want to go to the old dry, boring celebration or your amazing new celebration where... Maybe you heated your pool to be like a big hot tub and everyone gets it in, in the winter. I don't know. Maybe there are perks like that. Number two, go ahead and host. You're allowed to host on the holiday and invite your friends over and your coworkers, and like your neighbor down the street. Like you can just do it and then people can actually decide whether, you know, people all over the place like split time between different homes on the holidays You can put yourself into that rotation and be the place that people come for brunch or come later in the evening for dessert. No one can actually stop you from like cooking food, turning your porch light on and having people come over.
1: Yes, but it seems like what this letter writer really wants is to be the center of the family Thanksgiving activity, which is a commitment to like 10 hours of food and football uh, that in some ways obviates the possibility of someone going somewhere else. It's meant it's meant to exterminate that possibility. It's meant to put people in a place so welcoming and warm they would never want to go <laughs> anywhere else.
0: I just think they've got to like just dip a foot into Thanksgiving hosting. Like you've got to shove your way in somehow, and then like through a combination of being stubborn and like making it really appealing, just bring people slowly over to your side. It might be a three year process. Because people are stuck to their traditions. But I don't think you have to accept that um, because they're saying no, you never get to host a holiday. I think there are ways around this.
1: That is funny because I have basically the exact opposite advice. I mean, first of all, obviously, my advice is don't do it. Don't host Thanksgiving. Don't host Christmas. Go somewhere else. Have a great time. Never think about it again. But I think if what you want is to be the nexus of family, home and hearth for one particular holiday... You have just got to call that cousin. You're like the cousin who insists on hosting on the telephone and tell that cousin, I really want to host Thanksgiving. Would you be willing to come to my house? What's it going to take? Like, do I have to promise that you can still make the turkey because you really care about that, that you can deep fry a turkey in my garage and set it on fire? Whatever it takes. Like, Mm -hmm. you have to reach out to that cousin because that cousin is the one who's standing in your way. Without getting that cousin on board, nothing is changing. None of the family members are just going to affirmatively be like, oh, I guess we'll go to this other house for Thanksgiving instead of the house we've gone to every year because no one else wants to get in the middle of this. They don't want to like have to decide which cousin they're going to like make feel good and which one they're going to make feel bad. They just want to go somewhere. They want to eat a lot of food. They want to break your toilet and then they want to leave. Break
3: your toilet. (laughs)
1: And so if that's what you want, you are going to have to like take the bull by the horns and get this cousin on your side.
0: You know, sometimes I actually, reading all these letters that just have so much conflict in them, I forget that picking up the phone and, like, telling someone what you would like to see happen and asking if they might accommodate it is, like, an actual option, you know? And you never,
1: I mean, the cousin might be, like, over my dead body.
0: Right, but it is worth asking. Like, the options aren't just, like, forget it or do what you want and screw everyone.
1: I do love your idea of making a holiday party so enticing that, like, the Pied Piper, you draw everyone, the whole family in. For the future.
0: Yeah, well, that can be plan B if the cousin is, like, (laughs) super, super set in their ways. Okay, good luck. Report back to us. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show, and when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Dan, to answer your letters. And the next one is titled, No Holiday Cheer.
1: December is a horrible time for my wife. Her parents, grandparents, and brother all died around Christmas, and she gave birth to a stillborn child the day before New Year's. We see my family regularly during the rest of the year, so I never figured it would be a problem to skip so we can travel instead. Well, now my sisters and mother are on a mission to get my wife and me to stay and celebrate properly. They're militant that we're missing out on the proper bonding time with our nieces and nephew and suggested to my wife's face that she needs more therapy to fix her. My wife regularly sees a counselor, but other than a distant aunt, she lost her entire goddamn family. I'm honestly thinking of just cutting them out of my life if they don't let this go. It hurts my wife and no holiday's worth that. How do I get through to them?
0: So I, I don't think you need to cut them out of your life at this moment. I'm not saying that's not still an option, but you need to do whatever it takes to protect your wife from these ridiculous demands, right? This is the case like Dan suggested in the previous letter, picking up the phone and having a really clear conversation. Here's my proposed script. We're not coming to Christmas. I would like for this to be the end of the discussion, but if you have anything else to say about it, I have to insist that you leave my wife out of it. I am so serious right now. Do not let her hear you utter a single word. She's in a lot of pain and anything you say that hurts her more will be unforgivable to me.
1: That's a great script. Great script. I think that's the exact right thing to do. I have one additional piece of advice, which is before you make that phone call, make the other plans like mm. it's OK or don't make the other plans, but be ready to lie about what your plans are. Make the amazing plans that you are doing instead of Christmas or and New Year's. You say you want to travel. You say that's one of the upside to these horrible connotations that the holidays have for your wife. So make those travel plans. Book that Mm -hmm. trip to Machu Picchu or whatever and have that be part of that conversation. We're very excited about this trip. This is the thing that we are doing. This is a decision we've made. And yeah, if you got something to say about it, say it to me now. But I don't want to hear you saying anything to my wife about this. The properly in this email just really gets to me. Like there is a certain kind of person who believes that the holidays are so sacrosanct and so exalted that if you do not experience those with your family, you are not truly a family. And it's sort of like the flips. It's like the converse to the feeling expressed by that previous letter writer that if I'm just hosting people for the summer holidays, that's not real. That's not like the real family time. But that's insane. Family time is family time. And it is worth it to get it in your head that if someone does not feel the same way about Christmas as you do, it is not like a moral failing on their part or an unwillingness to be close to you and your loved ones. It's just that they feel differently about Christmas than you do. Deal with it.
0: It reminds me of something I've been thinking about a lot, which is the difference between making memories, quote unquote, and actually enjoying life. And I think some people are extremely set on making memories, which means like having the right people in the right place, doing the right thing and getting the right picture rather than focusing on like what would actually be fun, what would be relaxing. So like I dragged my child to a pumpkin patch over the weekend. It was 76 degrees. I put him in a flannel shirt because I was trying to make the memory of going to the pumpkin patch. He was hot. Every kid there was upset. Every parent there was like walking around sweating, trying to get the right picture. And it was ridiculous, right? We were trying to make the memory of going to the pumpkin patch, but he would have been more happy at the park in the shade in a tank top going down the slide. And I think the family here is focused on making the memory of having everyone together and the kids with the aunts and uncles more than their focus on like the people in the family actually being mentally and emotionally well. I'm not saying they can't ever happen at the same time, but sometimes they can't. Like in this case, everyone can't be well and make the memory. And I'm always going to choose like actual humans being okay rather than getting the right picture.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. The only thing I would say is that the one exception is that everyone I know who has small children still has to send me a picture of them crying on Santa's lap. (laughs) I don't fucking care.
3: Yeah, totally. That's just
1: the rules.
0: This is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned. I'm Janae, and you're listening to Dear Prudence. Dan and I are about to tackle our last question for the day. Ready, Dan? Ready. This letter is titled, Baffled by Lack of Etiquette.
1: I would like to give my nephew some advice without sounding like a know-it-all or snarky jerk. They recently graduated college and are looking for work, and this advice would be especially helpful at this time of their life. They are in their 20s, I'm late 40s, and I've noticed over the years that when I send them a holiday or birthday gift or card, I never receive an acknowledgement of receipt or thank you. The thank you comes only after I ask if they received what I sent. Most recently, I reworked their resume and emailed a few colleagues for some additional job sites they can check. I forwarded those emails, but again, did not receive an acknowledgement or a thank you. My grandmother forced me, and I'm now very glad she did, to write thank you notes for gifts, but really anything. This stuck with me all the way through adulthood, and definitely while I was job hunting.
0: So Dan, You've written a book about parenting. You've recently dropped a full-grown child off at college. I have to know. Do your kids have to write thank you notes?
1: They have never written a thank you note in their entire lives. What? We have successfully on occasions gotten them to send brief thank you texts Uh or place phone calls during which they are encouraged to thank grandparents for various things. Okay. They have never written a thank you note
0: So tell me why. Do you have like a policy that that's the right way to go? Or you're just like, we didn't think about it.
1: I have vivid memories of being like tortured by my parents into painstakingly Mm -hmm. writing insincere, stupid thank you notes to my grandparents when I was a kid that like accomplished nothing uh, Mm -hmm. and did not make me any closer to those people. In fact, just made me resent them um Ooh. and so i did not i didn't really want to do that with my kids i like if they're going to communicate with the loved ones in their life i'd rather them do it in like a way that is natural to them you know obviously if someone hands them a thing they we encourage you. them to say thank you right to that person's face but no we were not a thank you note family like we did not raise our kids that way.
0: time for a healthy debate With someone with opposite views. Yeah. So, I was raised being heavily nudged to write thank you notes. And I actually feel like it helped me be so close to my grandmother who lived in Boston when I lived in California and lived to be 100. And I ended up like living closer to her when I went to college and law school and visiting her a lot. But I feel like our relationship was formed... Through me writing thank you notes for everything she sent me. And I would always decorate the envelopes. That was like my little art project. And I can just remember decorating these envelopes throughout all of my childhood. And then as I got a little bit older and started to realize, okay, she's getting older, she's alone, you know, really trying to give her something to chew on in the thank you note about how much I appreciated it and what was going on in my life. I really think it was like the foundation of our closeness when I got to spend more actual in person time with her. Also, It's one of the things that makes me feel sort of the most curmudgeonly in life, that I love to get a thank you note. It means so much to me. And I guess not curmudgeonly because I don't get upset if I don't get one.
1: Right, that's the question.
0: It makes me feel old. Yeah. I think it makes me like the person more, if I'm honest. I can remember getting thank you notes, not the stupid emailed ones you get after you interview someone and six other people interviewed them. And they say, thank you for your time. I enjoyed learning about your editorial plan, whatever. Not that <laughs> one, but like, I think I helped someone like, with their job search. And she sent me like a lovely card in the mail with really nice words in it. I'll never forget that person. I've always thought I might encourage my kid to do thank you notes for the same reason. I think I want him to call adults Mr. And Miss. It's kind of manipulative almost. I think it makes people like you more and want to treat you better.
1: I'm interested in the difference between liking, receiving a thank you note Which everyone Mm -hmm. does. Like that's I don't think that really makes you an old person. That makes you like normal. It is nice to get a card in the mail from someone. Yeah. And not resenting it or truly really even noticing it if someone Mm. doesn't send a thank you note. Yeah. And and there's also the broader question of the thank you note as an object versus
0: a thank you expression. Yes,
1: gratitude.
0: Whatever medium. An any
1: expression of gratitude. It sounds like the real problem is that. This nephew um, mm-hmm. doesn't really seem to express gratitude in any way, and right. um, and I, and so my question for this letter writer would be: Do you find this true in all of your interactions with this young uh. man? If you are dealing with this. 20 something in person Mm -hmm. and you do something nice for him. Does he say thank you? Is he polite? Is he like generally well-mannered? Does he Mm -hmm. know how to get along in a social situation in a way that makes other people feel like they are heard and seen and that their contributions are appreciated? Mm -hmm. If so, I feel like this like relatively minor issue about how he expresses gratitude online or through the U.S. mail simply doesn't matter. Like it's Mm -hmm. not going to affect his ability to get a job. It's not really going to affect his ability to make friends. It slightly bothers you, but you should just get over it.
0: Okay, so you, you don't think it'll affect his ability to get a job? Because do you remember when they were fighting on Twitter like two or three years ago about those post-job interview thank you notes and whether they were expected or not? And a lot of people were saying it's like classist and it's not great to expect them because some people just don't know. And other people were like, no, if I don't get a thank you note, you're never getting a second interview from me. But I mean, I know those people are still out there.
1: I guess, but I can only speak from my own experience as a person who has sometimes interviewed and hired people. I've never once not hired a person because they didn't send me a thank you note. Right. And I have not hired plenty of people who did send me thank you Right, notes. right, yeah. Like, if that just had zero effect on me whatsoever. It made me feel warmly about the person for, like, six seconds, and then mm-hmm. I moved on to the one million other reasons I might or might not hire them. There are, like, old-fashioned people out there who, for them, that would be the deciding factor in whether you get a job or not. Those people yeah. sound like a real drag to work for, but whatever.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure they also, like, fire you for not wearing pantyhose or something. <laughs> um <laughs> something I got talked to about once back in the day. Um, Anyway, I have a writer who I edited probably six years ago, a couple of times, and he sends me the most sincere note of gratitude, like, at the end of any year in which I've edited him that just feels so, like, honest and heartwarming. And I love it. I mean, I love getting any thank you know, as I mentioned, but I think that sort of thank you email would be so much more valuable than like the LinkedIn quality one. I think I would encourage the letter writer to think about, am I wanting to give this kid a skill that I think is going to be really important for them in their life and in the workplace? Or do I just really want to be thanked? You know? (laughs) And if it's just that you really want to be thanked, I think you can drop it because in the same way that like, no one wants a gift they have to ask for. Like a thank you that you shame someone into isn't going to feel good. If you truly believe that like in your industry or in this particular hiring process or whatever this person is in, that it will make a difference, like say it to them. I guess the letter writer asks, how can I do it without being snarky or mean? So I think the key is to do it in a way that's not shaming them for forgetting, but giving them a hot tip, you know? So, hey, just so you know, like when you're talking to such and such and you do your informational interview, make sure you you write back and say, thank you. It's a great way to get him to remember you and stay on his mind. You know, it just will reflect really well on you in this industry.
1: It sounds like this um, relative is somewhat intimately involved in this nephew's uh, career Mm -hmm. decisions and career striving. And so if letter writer, you are sort of in touch with this nephew as he goes through this process. I think it, you also can just be like, how did the interview go? Oh, well, mm-hmm. great. Oh, you know what you should do? Here's a good idea. Send them a yep. little note. People, just like people, that. people love that shit.
0: Yes, exactly. Like a hot tip, yeah. not like, you know, some guilt trip.
1: Remember how you never thanked me for anything? Well, yeah. don't do that with your future right, employer. No.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's exactly the difference I'm getting at. Just bring it up lightly, even though you clearly don't feel light about it. Pretend you do. Okay. Those are all the questions we have for this week. It's been fun and hopefully helpful. Thank you, Dan.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Sorry that the holidays are so insane for everyone, but soon they'll be over.
0: If you love Dan's advice, check out more of his work here at Slate.com. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to Slate.com forward slash prudy. That's Slate.com forward slash pr. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday.
1: If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are always looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous.
0: Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Maura Curry. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.